Uh, my biggest thing is I want to keep enjoying it. Uh, right now, I enjoy everybody I work with. I enjoy going into the office. Um, morale is high across the board. And I think there's that family dynamic, you know, that, that plays a part. And I would never want to lose that. I, I did work for a larger company years ago when I started out. That company fizzled to nothing and, and went bankrupt. And I just remember I, I saw its growth and, you know, it, it, turned, it soon turned into you were kind of treated as a number almost. And I know that I would never want to see that for my team. That was the voice of our first ever small fleet champ winner, James Davis, owner of James Davis Trucking, or JDT, out of Central Point, Oregon. Davis was responding to a question about growth limitations and any potential sweet spot for size when it comes to operating a small fleet. The central challenge that comes with size, of course, is learning just what and how much to delegate your ownership responsibilities to others. We'll hear quite a lot more about that in the uh, this edition of the Overdrive Radio podcast for November 6th, 2020, where we track back through a panel discussion with the three finalists in Overdrive's Small Fleet Champ program, which was sponsored by Pilots 1-9 Fuel Network, geared towards such fleet. I'm your host, Todd Dills, and two days ago I had a similar discussion about growth with Cadle Trucking owner and operator Ben Cadle of Augusta, Georgia. Cadle's leased to and an agent for Bennett Motor Express. Cadle, hauling mostly platform freight, and since I met him around, uh, uh, back around year 2013, his fleet sat at uh, around five trucks operating then. Since, he's more than doubled in size with 11 full-time drivers in his trucks, and he occasionally drives himself, too. How had he been faring with all that growth through that long time it'd been since we'd talked, I asked. Quote, I don't want any more trucks at this point, he said. It gets to a certain point, it's like, yeah, I'm good. As have so many small fleet operators I've talked to through the years, Cato credits his drivers as the bedrock of his success. Not that he's getting rich, he emphasizes, but rather, quote, trying to get to a comfortable point, and that's about it. Trying to secure the future, end quote. As are, no doubt, the three small fleet champ finalists you'll hear from today. Here's Overdrive's editorial director, Max Heine, introducing the three during our panel's discussion with them. We've got Ed Burns and Sons, are represented by Evan Gookin. Uh, he's operations and dispatch manager. Uh, this fleet has perhaps the longest tenure of any of our entries, 75 years of business. They do local and regional hauling. Uh, lately, that's been mostly steel and lumber. Uh, they still do some grain and other produce that's historically been uh, part of their mix. They're based in Denver, Indiana, with uh, 13 trucks. And we've got James Davis of James Davis Trucking. Uh, James still drives a little bit, but with 27 trucks, he's got uh, plenty of other things to do to keep things running. Uh, they're the largest of the three fleets on this panel. JDT's based in Central Point, Oregon, and they specialize in hauling wood and steel on open deck trailers. And finally, John McGee of John McGee Trucking in Simsboro, Louisiana. Uh, his operation developed in the oil field industry, and it's still the niche that they serve. Uh, 24-7 industry has its own special challenges and in his case, some special driver compensation we'll hear about. Over the course of this podcast, you'll hear insights on hiring and retaining the best drivers, on size, on learning to delegate, on the huge challenges that small fleet owners with motor carrier authority are facing with insurance costs when it comes to primary commercial auto liability. 
If you're at least like Ben Cadle's fleet, that's an expense that you're unlikely to incur in such an outsized fashion, uh, given you're running under another authority, among the long-standing advantages of leasing. Before we get into the full discussion, quick word here from Overdrive Radio's new sponsor, longtime physical damage and bobtail insurance provider to leased owner operators. First Guard, the trucker's insurance company, offering leased owner operators the insurance protection you need and the service that you deserve. Contact today for a free physical damage or non-trucking liability quote. Firstguard.com. That's firstguard.com. One, uh, numeral one, S-T, guard, G-U-A-R-D.com. Okay. Small fleet discussion got underway with a question about just how the three fleets had weathered the freight downturn associated with the COVID-19 pandemic-inspired relative lockdowns around the country earlier this year. All three reported a variety of slowdowns, and Evan Guckin of Ed Burns and Sons in Indiana in particular noted a kind of share-the-burden approach to working with drivers to rotate work in as equitable a fashion as possible, juggling shifts to help those who needed the income most to stay working while others may have taken some extra time off. Here's Gookin. It was completely voluntary. Um, it was basically started on a seniority list and went down from there. Um, obviously everybody needs a check, some guys more than others. I kind of leaned on my older, more seasoned guys whose kids are grown and you know they have families of their own. They don't necessarily need the income as tight as you know my younger guys who got young families at home. We were down there when things got real bad. I would say we were down 25, 30% across the board. Um, but, you know, if, if one guy was off on Monday, I made sure he was back on Tuesday. James, with, uh, during your interview, you mentioned that COVID has affected the building material segment. During some of these work stoppages, your dispatch team, one of your responses for your dispatch team focused on increasing business from existing customers as well as finding just some more loads. And you also noticed something very interesting. Uh, that you had a lot of diversification that's helped your operation uh, blunt any of the effects of the downturn, that uh, you've had your own brokerage arm since 2013, uh, your fleet offers some outside maintenance services, truck parts sales, and custom products. Uh, all sounded very ambitious for a small fleet. Can you briefly explain what, out of those areas, what, what's the easiest to get into and maintain, and what's been the most profitable for you? As a reminder, this next voice is that of James Davis, owner of Central Point, Oregon-based James Davis uh, Trucking, or JDT pulling mostly platform free? Um, I would say the easiest is uh, probably the brokerage side of things. Um, you know, that involves existing customers, you know, the orders come in. If we can't handle them all on our own company trucks, then we, you know, go to some existing owner operators that haul for us on a regular basis. Sometimes we do have to post them out there on the internet truck stop. Um, but that's, you know, probably the easiest because the orders are already coming in. It's just a matter of finding a, an additional truck to help our customer, you know. So as far as what's the uh, most fun is probably, you know, the outside. You know, we do a lot of custom trucks. And so probably doing some outside work, uh, that's probably the most rewarding as far as I'm concerned. So, John, your niche is probably the most narrow of the three, being oil and gas. And uh, paying your drivers by the hour with overtime and uh, on 10 hour shifts, I believe, and you uh, have schedules, their schedules staggered to serve the, the 27, 24 7 nature of the oil and gas industry. And I believe, if I'm not mistaken, you told us most of your competitors pay a percentage of revenue or mileage. Is that right? 
Yes, sir. That's right. And so, uh, why exactly did you start offering hourly pay with overtime? This is John McGee of Simsboro, Louisiana, hauling liquid bulk tanks servicing uh, midstream oil and gas customers primarily as John McGee Trucking. The key to that was the driver retention. I mean, when you're paying a percentage of the gross, the truck's not making any money, the driver's not making any money, and I felt like to get quality drivers, we had to be in a position to where they knew they were going to make a paycheck. So we started the uh, hourly rate, I guess, back in 2013, and you know, with the overtime, then over the years, we've added a full benefit package. You're average compensation for company your company drivers is closer to seventy thousand uh, dollars three drivers that earned above a hundred thousand last year one uh, last year probably one hundred twenty five thousand or more uh, do you have to uh, charge higher rates than your competitors to be able to afford that pay well, part of our pay package is set up on a production bonus so some of the, the drivers are real go-getters you know they'll get out and pay a commission on any new work they bring us. We have safety bonus, production bonus, Christmas bonus. So, you know, it's all tied in with your longevity, how hard you're willing to work. Uh, All of our drivers, or most of our drivers, are on a four and two rotating schedule. But we do have some of the drivers that have been here longer that we started that are on a six and two schedule. So usually the ones that are on the six and two they have the opportunity to get a full 70 hours every week, and those are some of the ones that draw the bigger checks, you know, the plus 100,000 drivers. And then, like I said, the commission, we've got one driver that's real good about getting out and, you know, just basically hustling up extra work. Through the entire process, you know, we, like the other two gentlemen, you know, it is all about how you treat these men. As long as you're honest, you're fair, and you talk to them like men. I've never had any trouble with finding drivers or keeping drivers. That kind of schedule and um, home every night and, and what sounds like pretty high income. I mean, a lot of drivers would, would kill for that. Do you, do you track a lot of people just word of mouth of uh, your your whole package? Yeah, we, uh, we have a pretty good stack of potential you know, hirees or applicants. We usually you know hire based on reputation from a reference, either somebody we work with or somebody that already works with us. And we've got some, you know, we look for the experience in the industry. We look for the safety record and the driving record, and we kind of go with that for our choices. But we've got, right now I've got 16 full-time drivers, and I've got what I believe are probably 16 of the best drivers in this area. Evan, over at Ed Burns and Sons, uh, got a long tenure of 75 years. I know you haven't been there the whole time, but from your experience and what you've heard from uh, the owners, what are the one or two key things that you guys have learned that works well for your particular fleet as far as recruitment and retention? One of our big things is we don't ask a driver to do something that we wouldn't do. I mean, everybody in the office has driven at one point, and we're not going to expect the unrealistic. And my personal rule is, I don't lie to drivers. I mean, I'll be honest with them. Hey, I got a load for you. The rate's not the greatest, but I'll take care of you on the next one. I mean, it gets us to where we need to be to keep the ball rolling. And if you're up front with them, most of the time they're fine. And I think our guys stick around because, you know, we let them take it 50 miles out route to go home because their morale is worth more than what that 50 miles of fuel is going to cost me. So 
we just try and treat them like family and it's worked out for us. And James, I know in the interview you told us that uh, JDT's growth in many cases hasn't really been by design or particular customer demand. Uh, you said our company has grown by great drivers walking through the door and our company building or buying a truck to get them hired. To what degree have you actually spec'd a truck to fit a driver or in terms of certain features or the amount of extra cost you've put into a, a truck? I wouldn't say we spec a truck for a driver, uh, but it's more word of mouth. Um, I think that's our best attribute. Uh, we have a lot of eye candy on the trucks. Um, similar to Evan, uh, we have a very family-oriented trucking atmosphere. So the biggest thing is we listen to the guys and a female driver as well, and we try to accommodate. And in doing so, via word of mouth, you know, a friend of a friend or whatever, um, they're walking through the door uh, wanting to pursue an opportunity to work for us. And at that point in time, we found some older trucks and we'll fix them up as fast as we can and get them to work, or uh, we've bought some newer trucks as well. Um, we have one driver that uh, had lost an arm in the accident many, many years ago. We bought him an automatic. Um, we just try to accommodate, try to listen to the guys and do the best we can. Some of the shippers slowed down during this pandemic because, uh, you know, maybe people not coming to work or maybe the slowdown and whatnot. We try to pay them hourly if they're sitting too long in a shipper. Uh, we pay them mileage if they're running too, if they're bouncing too far empty to get a reload. You know, we just try to take care of the team. One of the things that is, uh, kind of interesting to me in this, this whole competition and looking at really over the years covering small fleets like what you guys are running is the, uh, just how each, Fleet owner has kind of a feel for his company's limitations in terms of growth and different vision for how, how big they do want to grow. Uh, we've talked to many small fleet owners that have grown to whatever size and then shrank back to much fewer trucks. In many cases, shrunk back to just one truck. Um, so James, with you, you've got the biggest fleet of the three, and you're, you've had some impressive growth. Uh, I believe increased ninefold over ten years. Um, said in your interview that the coronavirus impact has had some, put your expansion on hold, which is certainly understandable. Assuming things get back to normal, you know, maybe next year, uh, do you have any kind of ideal size in mind that you hope to grow to, or just kind of more of the sky's the limit situation? Um, my biggest thing is I want to keep enjoying it. Uh, right now, I enjoy everybody I work with. I enjoy going into the office. Um, morale is high across the board. And I think there's that family dynamic, you know, that, that plays a part. And I would never want to lose that. I, I did work for a larger company years ago when I started out. That company fizzled to nothing and, and went bankrupt. And I just remember I, I saw its growth and, you know, it, it, turned, it soon turned into you were kind of treated as a number almost. And I know that I would never want to see that for my team. So my biggest thing is, you know, I'm, I'm not limiting growth. You know, if we got 30, 35, 40, it, uh, that doesn't scare me by any means. Uh, my biggest thing is I want to enjoy going to work, and I want everybody else to enjoy going to work. Uh, our drivers that come to us, yeah, they usually, they're kind of an owner-operator style driver. So they um, put their best foot forward every day. You know, even our safe claims are ridiculously low. So uh, at the end of the day, Hey, I think when you hire some, you know, Evan mentioned it, John, I'm sure feels the same. When you hire some of the best in the business, your safety record is going to speak for itself. And I, I feel like 
on the West Coast, we do have some of the best drivers, and uh, the reward, you know, the awards show that. Um, I think our training, you know, you don't have to do as much training when you hire somebody like that, but we still do have a very good training uh, process, you know, an orientation process that we go through when we hire them on. You know, because some of them might be coming from a different background of trucking, you know, so we got to really go over the, the flat bedding and tie down procedures. But other than that, you know, they're just, they're really good at what they do. Evan, I know you told us that uh, running uh, 10 to 15 trucks seemed to be a pretty comfortable level for Ed Burns, though, and it's during various periods of the 75 years has been, uh, has run a lot more trucks. And uh, I know we went to the interview a month or two ago. You have, I think, 13 drivers, six other full-time workers. Uh, why is the 10 to 15 trucks particularly a sweet spot? Basically, it comes down to our facility. I mean, if we get much bigger than that 15 range, then we need another shop at least. We need more room to put, you know, equipment and tractors and trailers. And going to hire have to hire another full-time mechanic at least because um, I think we're about maxed out with the ones we have have now because we do everything in-house so that's kind of our sweet spot right now um, you know if the opportunity presents itself to grow um, I think we'll definitely look at that but I think we're happy you know keeping that same philosophy going forward it's worked this long I really don't see a big plan to change it we're about like everybody else we require two years of verifiable driving experience and prefer a year's flatbed I'll come down under that for the right uh, potential employee, we can train them up a little bit, but yeah, I mean, just having knowledgeable, safe guys to start with, it makes my job a lot easier. And we give out a safety bonus. And I tell all the guys, I said, I would much rather pay you than pay the insurance company. So if my premiums pay low or stay low, I have no problem, you know, sharing some of that with you guys. It saves everybody in the long run and most of them take it to heart. So works out pretty well. I don't know. You've had some uh, growth over your uh, your history, of course. Uh, sounds like growth is probably not your main goal. I know in the interview you said I turn down loads every day. What what are some of the factors that you weigh when you're judging whether to accept a load or not? Well, with us, it's pretty simple. You know, we we have a core group of customers. We're going to take care of them first, and if our Load count for the day is already maxed out. You know, we don't have any choice because I'm not going to you know, promise a potential customer what I can do if I can't deliver on it. I'm the substitute driver, so usually when we decide to grow, add a truck, add a driver, it's where I get to the point that I'm back in the truck 40-plus hours a week for like a four-week period. We'll look into, you know, do we think this is going to sustain? If so, we'll you know, hire the driver, find the truck. We just built a new shop in the last two years and we designed it, you know, for about a 20 truck fleet. And when we started building the shop, we only had eight. We're up to 15 right now. So, you know, we're, we're not unlike, uh, Evan, we're getting close to capacity if we grow much more, but I wouldn't turn it down. We've got the land, we've got the place. But it had to be the right fit. It had to be the right customer, something we thought we could sustain, somebody we thought we could really do a good job for. I know all three of you guys have been in business uh, several years. Uh, we've written a lot lately about newer entrants uh, to getting their uh, 
own operators getting their own uh, authority, trying to add trucks, just not even able to afford it, even if they've got a fairly good safety record, uh, has a lot of this increased sensitivity on, on insurance and rates affected you in your operation, uh, Evan? Um, yeah, it's, it seems like even without claims, insurance goes up every year, yeah. which I'm not sure how it's possible. But um, I suppose, you know, the newer equipment doesn't help with those kinds of things. But, yeah, it comes out of the bottom line every year. Um, you know, and if they're talking about increasing the minimums, I'm not sure what that's going to do. I think it's going to hurt everybody. Uh, I mean, I think rates will have to go up to compensate for it. So we do have, we have extremely high insurance requirements from all of our customers just by the nature of the work. We have a real proactive safety program. I mean, we emphasize safety in every aspect of everything we do, you know, not only on the driving side, but the actual work. We participate with all of our customers and their safety programs, even to the point of donating our time and our equipment for customer-based static displays, you know, to kind of demonstrate to their employees what we're doing when we're there on, when we are on their locations. Across the board, insurance, something has to give it, especially in our region of the world, because it's just getting ridiculous. We, we too have no claims and year over year, our insurance continues to go up 15 to 20%. Uh, I'm just curious in the oil field work, is it, is the main insurance concern injuries for drivers or other personnel on the on the site or is it more for oil spills that would be very expensive to deal with we, we have contractors of pollution liability which would cover any spill of anything that would create but here in louisiana and i can't speak for the rest of the nation but here in louisiana our biggest concern is the auto liability and you know when you're a fleet the way the oil field is set up you know they they have no indemnity in there, so everything, anything that happens, we can't blame it on anybody else. It's our fault. So we're liable for it. And so the companies we work for, they require you know, four and five times the national average insurance, you know, for liability. So mm. we just end up with a, it's just a, I don't want to say it, but I mean, it's just an attorney chasing business around yeah. here to where they're just, driving down the highway behind the truck, waiting for the accident to happen. Mm, I bet. And also, for irregardless of your driving, you know, like I said, we don't have any claims and our insurance goes up 15 to 20% each year. John McGee mentioned the notion of ambulance chasing attorneys in particular in his state having an effect on skyrocketing primary commercial liability insurance premiums in general. That phenomenon, of course, isn't limited to Louisiana, as any regular overdrive reader will know. Yet, in the time since we conducted this panel discussion, news emerged from New Orleans of a scheme to defraud truckers and insurance companies with essentially staged, purposeful accidents. An attorney's office was allegedly involved, according to the investigators on that case. You can read more about it at overdriveonline.com. Search staged accident. Staged accident. There have been dozens of individuals charged in the case thus far. Overdrive Editorial Director Max Heine put the same question about insurance pressures then to James Davis of JDT. As with Evan Guckin, Davis invokes the idea coming from the Democratic Congress's draft version of a highway bill over the summer to increase minimum liability coverage amounts required of carriers to $2 million. 
The idea died on the vine, as it were, but it was a big topic of discussion at the time of this panel. Depending on how the ongoing counting in several states goes with the Senate elections, particularly two Georgia contests that look like they're headed to a runoff, the likelihood of that insurance hike rearing its head again could rise. Let's wait and see there. Here's James Davis. Uh, yeah, we saw a 5% increase this year, and uh, it's obviously tough, you know, like Evan and John are saying, you know, um, we're not seeing any claims. You know, I realize that there are claims out there, and, and you know, right now it's, it's, it's really hard because we're always on the defense, you know, um, in the trucking industry from what I see in reading some of the different lawsuits that are out there and now they're wanting to raise the minimum liabilities and whatnot. I think they're what, $2 million, if I'm not mistaken. Um, it's, it's just hard to see. So, and I don't see any changes coming from the industry standards. So I got changing the time soon. Evan, one of the interesting things that uh, stood out with Ed Burns and Sons was that uh, the company's been able to operate for, I guess, some years uh, with, with no debt. Very Im impressive situation. Uh, was, which has some obvious advantages for cash flow and just be able to plan. I was wondering, do you come up with a budget in the fall that anticipates truck purchases? Because I know you said you actually literally buy trucks, pay cash. Uh, a budget to anticipate all those kind of expenditures, uh, as well as maintaining some cash cushion for, you know, whatever emergencies and being able to plan for similar capital outlays the following year. Not necessarily. I mean, we're not looking to replace anything that doesn't need to be replaced. I mean, you know, we start phasing stuff out when we need to, but we don't sit down and, you know, we have this much cash to spend, let's spend it. Um, you know, if, if maintenance bills on a particular unit are getting too high, then it's time to get it on down the road and replace it. That's kind of my philosophy, so. John, do you do any kind of a annual budget or is it more of a just sort of near-term estimates of how things are going? It's kind of a combination. We work pretty close with the CPA and a couple of the bigger customers that we have, you know, to try to anticipate the way the company's going, the way the growth is going. And we too keep a real close tabs on what it costs to maintain the truck versus to replace the truck. And we try to get, not going to say we try to get every last mile out of the truck, but we want to get most of them. You know, the, the budget side kind of dictates itself because it doesn't matter how many trucks we want, if we're broke, we're not buying them. We too try to stay as, we're not debt free, but we try to stay as low, you know, as, with as low of a debt ratio as we possibly can. And James, with a bigger operation like you've got, uh, you've got a lot of, a lot of revenue coming in, I would think. Uh, do you do more of an annual plan for your, uh, for your finances? Oh, I mean, we look at things quarterly and do some reviews. Uh, we just bought three trailers. We paid cash for those, you know, because uh, we need the expense this year. We can already foresee that. You know, if it's something that we're going to put on a depreciation schedule, then we usually finance it. If you all had to name one thing that's contributed to your success, something that you might pass on to, say, uh, an aspiring small fleet owner, if you were just giving them some advice, uh, what would that be and, and why would you say that in particular? I, James, why don't you start off? Um, I would say the biggest thing is hard work, dedication, um, and time. You know, there's a lot of people that outside looking in, they see an owner-operator that's maybe been in the business for five, six, seven years, and they see maybe a, a little bit relaxed schedule, and they think that he's making all this money, and maybe he's got a new pickup. And, 
man, I'm here to tell you, it's just not that easy. You know, I mean, you go behind the scenes and when they were starting out and they worked very hard to get to where they were at and the same as I'm sure these other three fleet owners, um, I know I've worked very hard to get to where I'm at. Um, I've now learned to delegate as the size gets bigger and it's just too hard to manage everything. And so I think if you pick a good supporting cast and your team stays driven, then the sky's the limit. And you've seen a lot of uh, perhaps several phases going from one truck to 27. Were there any particular humps that seemed like to you to sort of get past, you know, five trucks, 10 trucks? Yeah, I would say that five trucks, you know, I remember um, it was 2000, going into 2013, I had five trucks and three owner operators that worked for me full time. So I was trying to do everything on my own. Uh, it didn't matter. It was dispatching from a little black book that they had dates on it that I'd flip through or filling when I got home. I was driving as well. Uh, there was definitely not a lot of good rest periods in there. Um, that was probably my biggest hump to get over. And then in 2013, I went ahead and started an office. And uh, as that uh, hired two people inside to dispatch and then hired a mechanic. And then once I saw that, that grow, uh, we started growing the fleet again and it got a lot easier. First and foremost, and I know that uh, James and Evan are of the same thought, but it's all about how you treat people. And the, it doesn't matter who the people are, whether they're your customers, they're your employees, they're your vendors, doesn't matter. I mean, there's just not any room in the industry, in my opinion, for anything other than honest, safe, and reliable you know, transportation. But with that said, just like James said, it's hard work. I mean, I we just got a full-time mechanic two years ago, so I was the full-time mechanic. I was the full-time dispatcher, and I was the full-time relief driver. And, you know, there's only so many hats you can wear, so... Part of the growth is you have to learn to delegate. You have to you know, say, I can only do so many hours a day or so many hours a week to be done with it. But I still stand firm in my beliefs that the golden rule will prevail every time. My biggest thing is you keep your word. Um, if a customer says they need it there at 8 o'clock in the morning, we're going to have it there at 7.55, not 8.01. It's going to be on time and we don't try to be the cheapest rate out there, trying to provide a fair rate, but it's been our experience that um, some customers will pay a premium for top level service, and that's what we strive to provide. Plenty food for thought all in all for anyone looking at the possibility for growth. And there's more where that came from with these three. Look for a follow-up with more insights and read their stories via overdriveonline.com slash tag slash small hyphen fleet hyphen champ. Six other semi-finalist stories are told there too, all operating in a variety of freight niches from security sensitive and team owner operator uh, required Department of Defense freight to general dry van, reefer, and heavy haul. Again, overdriveonline.com slash tag slash small fleet champ. Hyphens between those last three words. And thanks to our new sponsor again, First Guard Insurance at numeral 1stguard.com. FirstGuard.com. And until next time, just keep it pro out there.